turn to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick up right around verse 6 and run as fast as we can to the end. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. How many of you think we can do it? Not at this rate. Not at this rate, but... Uh, it depends. It depends on how the spirit goes. Hey, one, one last thing. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And his birthday was on Friday. And we celebrate that here as a nation. And so uh, nationally, we take that day as a national holiday. And many offices and agencies are closed. They give their employees a day off. And we're doing the same thing at South Beach Church. So our offices won't be open tomorrow. There might be a pastor or two hanging out there. If you need to connect with us, you can. But we're taking that day off, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I just want to remind you guys about the great work that Martin Luther King Jr. began to do and the work that needs to continue to be done in our country. We live in a time where everything is very sensitive, everything is very hot, and it's an opportunity for God to move the ball further down the field with racial equality, taking away the elitism that comes from certain groups, giving us a sensitivity to how things are. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, was a proponent to that cause. And just a few things about Martin Luther King. I would encourage you tomorrow, most people do this already. I'm just gonna encourage you to do it in case you don't. Uh, Go on and do a little research about his life. Maybe look up some of his quotes. I've got a quote in the back of my Bible I've had here for about the last 15 years. I'm gonna read it to you. It's kind of long, but I'm just gonna read it to you. Martin Luther King Jr. said in a speech, he said, if you wanna be important, wonderful. If you wanna be recognized, wonderful. If you wanna be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing I like about it By giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need to have a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. Martin Luther King Jr., his birth name was actually Michael King Jr. His dad was Michael King Sr. And his dad was a Baptist minister and he traveled to Germany. And when he came back from Germany, he was so moved by his trip to Germany that he brought back from Germany to his son a souvenir. You parents who travel, you know, your kids always want you to bring something back. Usually I just steal the peanuts from the airplane. You know, here's all I can afford. And, you know, maybe some Mickey Mouse ears if they're lucky. And and so when Michael King Sr. came back, he said, here's what I got for you, son. He's five years old. I'm going to change your name. And he changed his name from Michael Jr., Michael King Jr., to Martin Luther King Jr., and he went on and changed his own name, his dad, to Martin Luther King Sr. So impacted was his dad by Martin Luther and the ministry of Martin Luther in Germany that he came back and he said, son, can you imagine being five years old and your dad's like, you're gonna, we're gonna change your name, no more Michael, now it's Martin Luther, you're like, come on, dad, you know, I mean, what the heck, bro, like, how are we gonna, and he changed his name. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. was a special kid. When he was a freshman in high school, he skipped his freshman year, went his sophomore and junior year, skipped his senior year, went right into college at age 15, and was ordained as a Baptist minister with a degree in sociology. And he, he, got, he was special. God gave him a special desire, just like Martin Luther, the great reformer, who, who read the Bible and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, and began to then change the world. My kids were reading their Bibles this morning, and I said, because of Martin Luther, is the only reason we're reading the scriptures right now because he made it available in the year 1500. And Martin Luther King Jr., this man who was used by God to change 
the face of our nation, not completely because there's still work to be done. And I just want to encourage you guys, it's our turn. It's our turn to change the nation. It's our turn to bear the torch. It's our turn to do what's right. It's our turn to be changed with a radical form of love that's generated from above and to become the servant of all. His quote that I read to you in the back of my Bible was one he had taken and developed from Jesus Christ about being a servant of all, being the greatest. The night before he was murdered, 39 years old, I'll read to you one more quote. This was at a speech just hours before he would lose his life. He said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He was murdered the next morning, tragically. Six years later, his mom would be playing a piano at church and would be gunned down as well. And so tomorrow, when you have the day off, or if you don't have the day off, or this weekend, you're considering our nation and the, the tragedies and the inequality, and don't let it just go over your head. Let it, let it go into your heart. And ask the Lord what you can do prayer, softening, honoring one another, brothers and sisters that are different than you, taking the words of Jesus Christ and letting it change you. So I'm gonna say a prayer now and ask God for a blessing on our time as we get into his word and as we study together. Lord, we, we do in Jesus' name, we thank you for your unending commitment to us that is blood-bought. Lord, we thank you that you change lives, that you give yourself over that Jesus, you are the prime example of one who would lay his life down to death. And you would give courage to men like Martin Luther King Jr. Who would see the glory of the Lord and realize that his life wasn't gonna be very long and he had nothing to fear because of the power of love. And so Lord, we repent over the crimes, Lord, of this world and our nation and ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, for your commitment to us. Would you bless us now as we get into your word? We do pray for our country, Lord, together. We pray in Jesus' name as the inauguration and installation of a new president. And man, I just, I pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way, just like you did with me during worship this morning. Just like you say, hey, Luke, it's time to worship. What are you, you gonna, you gonna do it or not? And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, no matter what other distractions are happening this week or last week or this last year, we'd be worshipers. Bless us now as we study your word. We need your help to do that. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said? Amen and amen. First Peter, it's gonna be super fun today because we're studying titles that are given in my Bible, such as submission to government, submission to masters, next week, submission to husbands. So I figure it's gonna be a great week to maybe get a volunteer from the audience to go ahead and teach this and see how you guys wanna roll through submission to government and honor to the king. And well, I was gonna have Pastor Marty come teach it because he's going to Tennessee anyways, man. Let him get the apples thrown at him. So um, last week though, I tiptoed into this uh, kind of 
national hotbed that we're in. And Isai, can you turn on the rest of the lights in here real quick, maybe help people uh, pay attention to their uh, Bibles as well. And I mentioned that our country has drifted indeed from following the Lord. Not everybody. There are families, there are institutions, there are even whole cities and, and whole states that are still given over to God. But by and large, man, things have gotten crazy. And as we study the scriptures, God tells us to, that we are dual citizens, that we are both pilgrims, sojourners, aliens, okay, on earth, but we're also elect and beloved and saints. We have a dual citizenship. See, I'm an American citizen, but I'm also a citizen of heaven. And it's my citizenship in heaven that doesn't bother me. There's no problems there, no issues, but it's my citizenship on earth that seems to be problematic. There are issues here. And so when God addresses us in his epistle of 1 Peter, he calls us beloved sojourners. Beloved means you're elect, you're called, you're chosen, you're special. You're going somewhere, but you're like me. You're in the already not yet phase of life. And so God wants us to be here on purpose and he has a purpose for us to be here and he's doing things in us and through us. And as we get into 1 Peter, I'll remind you of a good friend of mine uh, in Ashland. His name was Kirk and Kirk loved the Bible. As a matter of fact, every single morning, whether you wanted to hear it or not, he would read the proverb and the Psalm of the day out loud. And it led people to believe that he was a Christian and some sort of leader type. Yet if you looked closely at his Bible, he had portions of it paper clips shut lest they ever open up. Peter was one of those portions of scripture that he had paper clips shut because he never wanted to read it. Not only Peter, but Paul, because Peter and Paul both say, honor the government, submit to the king, pay taxes, be a good citizen. And this guy, Kirk, was a staunch rebel against the imperial government known as the USA, and he had nothing to do with any of that stuff. And I, I find, I don't know. And even last night, as I was studying this through, going, Lord, I don't have a lot of application for people. Is it okay if I just read the Bible and go home and disconnect my email? Is that okay? You know, and the Lord's like, yeah, you can do that. Let the people deal with me and let me deal with the people. And I believe as we let the Lord's word go over us today, he's gonna soften our heart and he's gonna give us understanding of what that looks like to have a dual citizenship, two addresses, one in heaven and the other in Lincoln County. Now, if you don't have your citizenship in heaven yet, if that hasn't happened for you yet, it's super simple. All you gotta do is believe, okay? As soon as you become a believer, you have that dual citizenship. I would believe that most of you who are here at the 9 a.m. service or watching at home online, you're believers already. As a matter of fact, look at verse one, just go all the way back. It says to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Stop right there. He gives us those two titles, pilgrims and elect. You don't live here. You're just going, you're just on your way. You have a destination. You're going to, have you ever stayed in a hotel before and started to put your own paintings up? <sighs> they frown on that. You know, call Home Depot and get some paint delivered to room 205. You know, we're gonna paint this up a little bit and put some new blinds up. You don't do that. It's not your home, man. You don't, you don't take it as seriously. You want a good hotel, but you're not gonna make it your hotel. And so too, in this life, the things that we're so worried about at times, God says, that's, that's not your home. That's really not your home. You're not gonna be here forever, but you will be and you're going to be forever somewhere. So make sure your sojourning here is done right. As a matter of fact, we're gonna see a couple words from Peter. We're gonna see therefore and likewise and but you and all these contrasting terms to help you and I redeem the days that God has given to us here. Let's look at verse six. I wanna make sure we're all believers here. This is where we went through last week. He says, therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect and precious, and he who believes on him 
will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Stop right there, eyes up here. It's that simple. Do you believe? Are you a believer? Jesus is so patient. Even when Thomas, the day after Jesus was risen from the dead, Thomas didn't believe Thomas was one of the 12. Thomas couldn't believe, even though all his buddies told him, Thomas, do you think we're lying to you? He's like, I can't believe it unless I see it. And so a week later, Jesus shows up to Bible study on a Sunday and he walks through the walls and he's like, where's Tommy boy? And he goes right for Thomas. He's like, Thomas. And he's, he's compassionate. Thomas, I want you to believe. Here, here's the scars. Here, come check it out. Blessed are you for seeing, but blessed are those who believe and don't see. Are you a believer here? If you're the, the, the rock that you have received now becomes that chief cornerstone. It's precious to you. You're a believer. He goes on in verse seven. He says, but to those who are disobedient or disbelieve is the actual word there. That stone, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense. Listen, they stumble being disobedient or disbelieving to the word to which they were also appointed. Stop right here. Stop right there, eyes up here. You have believers and unbelievers. There's really two, only two types of people in the world, only two, saints and ain'ts. And in order to become a saint, all you gotta do is believe. You believe in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe you're an ain't, you're not in. No matter how, and there's actually better ain'ts out there than there are saints in here. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen an ain't out there? Somebody doesn't believe, but they actually are a nicer person than you. And they're just more, there's a better person than you, but they're an ain't. They've looked at Jesus Christ. They're disobedient to the word that was committed to them. And I have seen some absolute train wrecks in my life that the Lord would say, yeah, she's a saint. He's a saint because he believes he's obedient to the word that was given to him. Guys, your sainthood comes from Christ above and your belief in him. And as you put your life in him, he gives us then our job title and our job description. He says, but you are a chosen generation, verse nine, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He gives us now four titles. You can start, uh, study these out and talk about them. I think we did that last week in life groups, a chosen generation. And isn't it awesome to be chosen? You ever stood on the wall there during kickball, second grade? Second recess, man, you just want to get picked so bad. And you just, you get picked, yeah, you know, fired up. And then, you know, it's not, when you get chosen, man, you guys know that about yourself, right? You're a believer, but God chose you. A chosen generation, not just a chosen generation, but he says we're a royal priesthood. I talked about this last week. This is so important that if you're a saint here, it's not just about South Beach Church and the ministry and the pastors and what we do and our missions program and our discipleship programs and our men's groups and all that other stuff. That's not... What's important is that you realize that you're part of a royal priesthood. A priest has two main job descriptions. Number one, to talk to God on behalf of people and to talk to people on behalf of God. Okay, it's that simple. Ask yourself if you're doing that. Do you pray for people? Do you bring people's names to the throne of God as a priest would? Just write that down, make that a 2021. I'm gonna pray for people. And do you talk to people about God? That's what a priest does, it's not that hard. He also says we're a holy nation, a peculiar nation. Do you know that holiness is peculiar nowadays? Have you guys figured this out? We're strange. First Peter 4, 4, we'll get there a couple months. Peter says, they think it's strange that you don't run with them anymore. These, these you know, these Gentile nations. You're not, a, you're not doing the, the crazy stuff. 
And as a believer, it's okay to be a peculiar people, a special people, a holy nation. He actually uses that last word, a special people, his own special people. And you'll see this from time to time where they'll be auctioning off uh, items, normal items like a toaster or an umbrella or, you know, just it'll go for half a million bucks, not because the umbrella is worth half a million bucks, but because of who owned the umbrella. You've seen this before where a pair of shoes will go for $2.3 million because they were worn by Michael Jackson or something like that. You know, it's crazy stuff. Listen, you're his own special people. Not because of your innate value and worth, you're created in his image, but God is love. God actually said that to the children of Israel one time. He said, I chose you not because you guys are loving or lovable, but because you guys are hard-hearted. <laughs> and when I choose you as my own, it actually makes me look more loving. It proves that I'm loving. This is in Deuteronomy. God chose you. Do you look at yourself as a saint, as one who is a holy priest, a special nation, a, a chosen generation, a special people? And then he gives us our job description in verse 10. He says, actually, verse nine at the end there, he says that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That word proclaim literally means advertise. Because when I listen back to my messages, sometimes I, I wonder, you know, if they repeat themselves very often. Don't answer that. But anyways, as, my, as I preach, I just kind of get everyone excited about sharing and being a witness and putting a Jesus's real shirt on and serving the world and letting your light so shine before men that I see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And that just excites me because I think, what else in the world are we doing? And how easy is it to live your life if you realize you're to be one who proclaims his greatness as he's delivered you from darkness to his marvelous light? This happens in two ways, by the way. There are some people here who have a crazy testimony. I mean, we're talking insane. This is South Beach Church. Some of you guys are so crazy. You have a testimony that you got saved young, walked with the Lord, found somebody else who was saved young, married that person, have been married now for 50 years, raised kids who love the Lord, and now in your olden days, still love and serve the Lord. That's a crazy testimony! People aren't doing that. Can you imagine? There's people here right now. You're like, I don't have a testimony. I've just been pretty plain. I just, you know, I got saved and I've just been, you, you've been what? I've just been steady my whole life. Never gone to jail, never did any drugs. I never got arrested. I just, it's kind of, a, it's a boring testimony. What? Guys, even more so now in this world, your testimony. I love when I meet couples who say, you hey, are celebrating our 45th anniversary, 54th anniversary, 60th anniversary. I'm like, God bless you. In a day and age where everything's twisted and disposable and man, all these prenuptial agreements and, it went, and somebody can, what's your testimony? Maybe you're a little even on the other crazier side where you did have your life spin out of control and Jesus found you in the recycle bin and he brought new life into you and he restored you. And now you like the demoniac man there on the island and the shore of Gadara are clothed, you're calmed, and in your right mind, and the chains and shackles are dropped. Guys, did you know, I don't, it doesn't matter what your testimony and experience has been, you have one. Your job title, chosen generation, royal priesthood, special people, peculiar nation, oh, that's your job title. Your job description is to proclaim his praises one way or another in the way you live your life. And by the way, don't have you, how many of you guys have ever been on a short-term mission trip before? You've been on a short-term mission trip. Short-term mission trips are so fun because they're so easy. Man, you get to be on your best behavior for 10 days and then you're done. You know what I'm saying? You get to be on this flight for like 16 hours with somebody and you get to just share and share. They see you never, you know, and, and they think you're something special. Then you go to the place of origin and you serve and you go home. You know what's harder to do? 
is to not serve on a local or a mission trip for 10 days as a sprinter, but to live as a missionary to your neighborhood, to your community, as a marathon runner, the long haul. We're going to see that in a little bit here. Peter's saying what you do matters to the people who are watching you. And if you're bored of your own life or not impressed with the people you're around, okay, just ask the Lord to use you and to brighten your light in a world gone dark. This is directly, it's indirectly. It's the way we minister. Look at some new, new verses to look at. He says, who were once not a people, verse 10, but are now the people of God who have not obtained mercy, but have obtained mercy. The only difference between saints and ain'ts is the mercy of God. Before you received God's mercy, you were under his wrath. I talk to people from time to time and they say, look, I'm glad you found Jesus. That's good for you. I don't have a problem with God. I just, I don't need it. I don't have a problem with God. And I always ask them, that's cool. You don't have a problem with God. You think God might have a problem with you? Because if you're not, if you have not received his mercy, you will receive his wrath. It's one of the two. And Peter helps these guys to understand because he's about to jump into the deep end. He wants to take them swimming. And so he says in verse 10, you were not a people, but are now the people of God who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Stop right there, eyes up here. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. He's speaking to their higher nature. Their higher nature is the beloved aspect of who they are. He's reminding them that they are sojourners and pilgrims, but they're also elect and they're adopted and they're guaranteed and foreordained and predestined to be conformed to the image of God and they're going to heaven. And yet he also points out, but you're a sojourner, you're an alien, you're a pilgrim, you're walking through this life. Guys, this makes life so fun, so exciting. Like Martin Luther King Jr. on the night before he died can say, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. I'm not afraid of anything. Predicting almost that his life would end, not knowing the details the day that would follow, but knowing it doesn't, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And as we navigate through this next chapter or two, I have written throughout each chapter break in each kind of paragraph break, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Beloved, he says, verse 11. I beg you, I've got that circle because that sounds pretty serious. As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Stop right there, that's pretty basic. He says, guys, when you're here on earth as sojourners and pilgrims, it's gonna get tough. And when it gets tough, be careful not to tap out. You ever done this before? Things are tough, marriage is tough, kids are tough, life's tough, singleness is tough, the government's tough, everything's tough. So you're just gonna give yourself a little break. It's <sighs> gonna take a time out in my spiritual journey and my morals and integrity. I'm just going to log on to this or call that person or go there. I'm going to do this. I beg you abstain from every worldly lust that wars against your soul. The word war there is a Greek word that literally means strategy. Satan has a strategy for your life. Did you know that he's been alive longer than you have? He's been studying the human race as a profession and since the moment you were born, he's had targets on your back to take you down. He actually studies you strategically and he knows when to attack you when you're up, when you're down, when you're out, when you're in, when you're alone, when all these things are happening and the lust of your flesh will war against you. Have you ever just been driving along and had a crazy thought? You're like, where'd that thought come from? If I have that thought too many times, I'll go to jail, you know? 
I thought not out loud, is it? You know, you lose your journal. Where's my journal? I'm going to jail, you know. Ah. A, lot of, a lot of times you think you're crazy because all these, you're not crazy. There's a war. The enemy of your soul. Our job, to abstain from every fleshly lust. Abstain means complete abstinence. No quarter, no negotiation, no little margin. If you try and negotiate with sin, if you try and marginalize sin, if you try and just do a little bit of sin, just, to, just take the word sin and change it to poison, okay? Just a little bit of poison. It's not much, it's just a little bit of poison and you'll hopefully find yourself talking yourself off the ledge and saying, I don't know if I want a little bit of poison. I don't think that's a good thing for me. Samson got a girlfriend, her name was Delilah, and she had no intention ever of doing anything except seducing him in order to take him down. And he played the game. You can read his story in the book of Judges toward the end there. He's got three or four chapters dedicated to him. Great story. And he tries to negotiate with sin. You just can't. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. And ultimately, it will blind you like it did Samson. It will bind you as he was bound. And ultimately, you guys know his story. He grinded grain for the Philistines. It will grind you down. Peter here, talking to Gentiles, believers that had never met Jesus in a foreign land, living in modern day Turkey under Roman oppression and occupation, said abstain from every fleshly lust that wars against the soul. Verse 12, here's why, not just for you. Is that, is that enough for you though, just for you, your sake? He goes on though, it's more than that. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Wow. It's not just for you and your sanity and your sanctity and your peace of mind, although sin will wreck all of that and holiness will establish all of that. But Peter goes on to say, guys, you are a witness in the world of what you do and what you don't do of how you navigate through the pitfalls of life. That way the Gentiles, when they speak evil of you, and this word Gentile doesn't mean necessarily non-Jews, it means everybody who's not a Christian. And when people look at you and the way you navigate your life, it is a witness. Did you know that you're the only Bible some people will ever read? I'm just gonna make it so simple, this is so important. Most of you guys have a Bible and occasionally, if not often, you're cracking it open and you're trying to read it and trying to get near to God and trying to figure some stuff out. You're trying to figure, you guys ever just trying to figure stuff out? You're like, ah! Did you know that most of the world's not doing that? They don't care. They're not reading the Bible. I mean, I struggle every single day. I'm not, there's rarely a day that goes by I'm proud of myself. It's just, it's just, man, I could have done better. I don't know what's going on. The rest of the world, they're not even trying. And so God puts you in front of them. And you wonder why they're not believers. Well, didn't you read the five by five program today, boss? You know, didn't you read? Didn't you go to church? No, I didn't go to church. I don't do that. And so God puts you in their path. Not as a short-term missionary, but as a long-term missionary. That way in the day of visitation, they'll be saved. It's easy to go on a trip. It's easy to go in and go out. It's hard to work next to that person that hates you and hates Jesus. It's hard to live next to that person that doesn't like you and doesn't like your God. It's hard to live in a country that rejects the things of God. What does Peter say? He says, I want you guys to have your conduct, listen, honorable among the Gentiles. Directly related to sin, he says, be pure because it matters. You guys know that 
King David failed in this area. He was a leader. He was a king of God and he failed right around his 50s, about 54, 55 years old when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. A lot of young men struggle with lust issues and pornography and temptation. And, and a lot of older men kind of put down that battle. Ah, that's back in the day. And I'll tell you what, the battle never ends. Watch out for the war, the strategy of Satan. And David found himself sinning. And Nathan, his buddy, gave him an exact reason why his sin was so important. He said, man, your sin gives blasphemy and reasons for the Gentiles to reject God. Peter here saying to people who are dual citizens, don't raise your hands because you won't want to ask this question anyways, but how many of you guys are naturally re rebellious? Just re rebels, okay. The super rebels raised your hands. <laughs> Told you not to raise your hands, you did anyways. It's a tough crowd, that's, that's tough right there. Peter here is talking by experience. He knows what it's like to fail in front of an audience. He knows what it's like to come up short. He knows that it undoes your witness. He'll go on in just a few verses. He says, don't use your freedom as a cloak, as a vice for wickedness. You're a Christian? Cool. Christians can be the most rebellious people. You're looking at one of them, by the way. I was raising my hand in my heart. He says, guys, for the sake of others, let your conduct be pure. Let it be honorable. It's that idea of that long-term mission trip. People are looking to you in your life. Therefore, verse 13. This is where I have Pastor Marty come up and finish the text. I'll read it to you. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, referring to Caesar Nero, or to governors, referring to Kate Brown, just kidding, uh, or, to, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king." Let me set the context briefly. I don't have much time. You guys know at this time, Caesar Nero was in charge and he was mounting an increased persecution among the church. It was already happening. Christians had been killed, burned at the stake, fed to lions, and it was only getting worse. Caesar Nero would get so bad in his Christian persecution that he would ultimately crucify this author two years after he wrote this, where he says to submit to Caesar the king. And he would find himself face to face with Caesar and he would ask Caesar's permission. When you kill me now, can you kill me upside down? Because I don't want to be crucified as my savior. I'm not on the same level as him. And Caesar Nero granted him that request and he was able to be crucified upside down with his wife. After he was crucified upside down, the apostle Paul would have his head cut off by the same king that he's asking us to submit to. That same king would then take Christians, realizing that after he burned down Rome and blamed it on the Christians, that he realized that he could have this persecution unfold. And he would take Christians and he would sew animal skins onto their bodies and feed them to the lions. And the lions would attack them and it would be sport. Gladiators would kill the Christians. He would take Christians and he would tie them to chariots with all four of their limbs. And the chariots would then pull in a race in opposite directions, pulling them limb from limb. 
He would take Christians and he would dip them in wax head first and then impale them through their back and light them on fire, still alive in his courtyard saying, the light of the world. History reports all this. This is one of the craziest persecutions that would be upon the earth, one of the most grotesque. And Peter says, as unto the Lord, honor the king, submit to the governors as those who God has put there for two reasons. He's put them there. Two reasons governors and presidents and kings exist for the stopping of evildoers, the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of people who do good. That's the intention. That's the idea is that when a king is in place, he'll see corruption and injustice and wrong and he'll stop it. Wouldn't that be awesome? And when he sees a person doing right and when he sees integrity and honesty, they'll promote it and protect it instead of censor it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, let me just make sure you understand a little something here because this is as under the Lord. This is, we're in complicated times. Peter's day was more complicated than ours. I don't know, we could take a vote, you could, you could guess. I think his time was a little bit more intense than ours. Ours is still intense. One thing he didn't say though, he didn't say vote for the king. He said, honor him. He didn't say you even have to like the king. He said, pray for him. In our country, we have freedom. You don't have to vote for the person that is in office. You don't have to like everything that's going on. But the command as unto the Lord is to be one of honor, that you would silence the ignorance of those who come against God and his church, that you wouldn't give the people who hate God any more reason to justify their rebellious stance against God. This is something you're gonna have to wrestle with because there is something within us that wants to rebel even against injustice. I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna make sure we do it right. And the Lord says, how about you just submit as unto the Lord? Are you a saint? Are you a believer? Yes. Then I want you to trust me. This is not your home. You're just a pilgrim passing through. You're a sojourner. You have a home. You don't need to fear any man, but instead you can be honorable amongst the Gentiles. And in the day of visitation, because of you, people will be saved. As I was reading this, I began to think, and I'm going to say this quickly, maybe not everyone will hear it, but it says specifically that governors and kings are given by God to punish evildoers and to promote and to protect those who do good, to, to reward them. Who's, who's the evildoer? Just ask yourself that. Right now in our country, mainstream churches don't teach truth. Mainstream churches in America embrace and affirm immorality, sinfulness, biblical illiteracy, pluralism, humanitarianism as the top goal. Mainstream churches, Ivy League colleges, universities do not teach God but reject God, minimize God, ridicule God. Local education, schools, governments don't want anything to do with God. They pushed God out. 
entertainers, performers, influencers are godless, selfish, sinful. Our country is evil. There is a remnant. There are men and women. They're called saints. You're here. Sojourners, pilgrims, the salt and the light in the dark and in the rot. Follow the train with me. So God says, you know what I do? I give kings to punish evildoers. It sounds noble. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel. God raised up Pharaoh to punish the children of Israel. God will raise up evil kings and evil governors that will destroy a nation that needs to be disciplined. Wrestle with this. I love God. I know you guys do too. I pray for our country. I pray for our president. I pray for our governors. Bless you. But this is fulfilled in my opinion. Verse 14, governors are there to punish evil people. Our country's been ruined. Yep. Everything's all messed up. Yep. Three to 5,000 babies per day are aborted in America, America alone. Anywhere from 350 to 650,000 STDs are contracted every hour in the world. I'm gonna say that one more time. 350 to 650,000 STDs are contracted in the world every hour. One lawmaker said the rise of STDs is due to government budget cuts. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair last night. That's not the reason they're on the rise. They're on the rise because of sin, because of immorality. This, there's nothing easy about this. Peter says, you're going to heaven. That's where you're going. When you're in the hotel, don't get so freaked out about the paint. When you're in the airport terminal waiting for your flight, don't order blinds from Lowe's to decorate. You're not gonna be there very long. Don't get so fired up. What should I do? Honor the king. Honor God. Honor all men everywhere. He goes on, just let's just turn it up a lot. Not just let's read this stuff. Servants, be submissive, verse 18, to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. I've got written there, I'm going to heaven. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, no big deal. But when, you're good, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Stop right there and just, do you guys see what he said here? If your boss is mean to you, deal with it. Honor them. To them specifically, this would be to slaves. Upwards of 5 million slaves 500 million slaves at the end of the first, second, and third century in, in Rome. Slavery was invented in that culture in that time and it wasn't racial like it was in our country. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do with class, it had to do with war, it had to do with where, who you were and who owned you. 
And so Paul or Peter addresses those who are servants. To us, it would be employees, citizens in our ranking here. Honor the people above you. And he goes into such great detail. He's like, by the way, if you do something dumb and it gets hard for you, that's, there's nothing honorable about that. But if something bad happens to you and you've done nothing wrong, endure it as under the Lord. How, how many of you guys think that Peter had his mind and his eyes locked on the prize? <laughs> I mean, for real. As a matter of fact, I couldn't sleep last night. Pray for me. I got a whole other service to do. And I thought about Peter. Peter was in Rome when he wrote this. He's never going back to Jerusalem. He's been on the run, if you would. He's been a sojourner and a pilgrim, living in the shadows, living in the dark, just waiting for the boot to drop. And easier for him to say, all right, everybody, we're not getting out of this alive. So let's be gracious toward all men as unto the Lord. Let's trust him because there are people who aren't yet saved and you're the Bible, the reading. And they're going, God's gonna use your faith to save souls. You guys remember Joseph? He suffered more than you'll ever understand unjustly and with corruption and betrayal and rejection and loneliness and loss and all of that. And God said, I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that. Objection, your honor. How dare you? And the Lord says, no, in a world that is guaranteed to be broken and full of pain, there's a certain flower in Israel. I can't remember the name. It's a small flower and it doesn't have any scent until it's crushed. It's, it's a low-lying ground flower. It's actually meant to be walked on. And when crushed, it emits a scent. You who've been around a little bit of time, you know that that's true in your Christian walk. That in those dark times, those Joseph times, Look at verse 21, and I want to read these verses and make some final thoughts and send us home. This verse is highlighted, circled, underlined, and noted, and starred in my Bible. Verse 21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. An example of steps. You ever walked in the snow before? And you're just getting stuck and, and you find somebody else's footprints like, yeah, but follow their steps. Peter here connects the dots and says, hey, if Jesus suffered unjustly, unjustly, that's our pattern. And here's the good news, Christian, for those of you who are still listening. It's not just a pattern, but he provides the power. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys right now, you're in your marriage or in your singleness or in your, your citizenship here, you just feel powerless. Man, I hear you. I hear you, Luke. I'm reading this, but man, I don't know, man. I just feel, I see the, what you, what? You know, Peter, he's in Rome and easy for him to say he knew Jesus and he saw the empty tomb. And I just, listen, the power of God is through his Holy Spirit. If you step out in obedience, like Peter did out of the boat onto water, the Lord will provide the Holy Spirit's power to do what you cannot do. Honor your boss, honor the king, honor the president, honor the people around you. You might not agree, nor should you agree. Does that make, did you hear me? Our country is in a mess. 
and it is above our pay grade to decide when and how long this country continues in this way. But it is clear what God expects for you and me. And if you need any more encouragement, he gives it to us. About Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Mark 14 is our five by five reading program today. Mark 13, I keep getting that mistaken. And Jesus' disciples, in essence, that day and 44 days later, the day of ascension, demanded that Jesus restore Israel to her glory. Look around, Jesus. The temple, the Romans, the stuff. <sighs> And Jesus looked at them with a concerned gaze. What? No. No. Not in your time, not in my time, but in the Father's time. There is a time. But you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall follow my pattern with my power. That's what you do. And if they burn you at the stake, may praises come out of your lips. And if you're rejected by all men, like Joseph, like Moses, like Jesus, would you know that it leads people to salvation? It leads people to the cross. It shows people the Lord. Easier said than done. And yet this is why we take communion. This is why we study the cross. This is why we study and this is why we trust. Let's pray now and ask God to fill us with that Holy Spirit power and to do a work here in Lincoln County. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our rebellions, of our self-righteousness, of, Lord, our ways that are not according to what Peter's instructed us, according to what Jesus showed us. And we're just like the boys. We're just like the disciples of old. And so, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name for clarity, for continuity, for unity, for conformity to Christ, for purity and honor towards those who don't yet know you, the ones who aren't going to read a Bible and get saved. Instead, they're going to see our love, our faith, and our hope. They're going to sense and discern the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if you're here this morning or you're watching at home right now and you want to be a Christian who is reserved for the things of God and you want to be in, uh, filled and charged with his spirit in order to run the race, would you just raise up your hand right now? Just surrender to him. My hands are up too, Jesus. I want to run. Forgive me of my lack of witness, my lack of care, my lack of concern, my pride and self-righteousness. Help me to abstain every fleshly lust that wars against my soul that when they see me, they might glorify you in the day of visitation. Would you do that for us, Jesus? Forgive us of our sins. You can put your hands down. And would you anoint us with the oil of gladness? 
Right now, the world is looking for a temporary fix. They're looking for a worldly king. And we have an eternal fix and an eternal king. So would you bless us and lead us, Lord? We give you all the praise, all the glory. Bless us this week. Prepare us, Lord, for the week of prayer and fasting. Even now, show us what we need to give up. Maybe it's a food item. Maybe it's a dessert. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it's a thought pattern. Show us what you want us to do so that we might have more room for you, Lord, and less distraction by this world. We don't know how much time we have, but I don't think it's very much. So would you bless us, Lord? Anoint us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen.